Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Altitude Crime. This is Amelia Allen coming to you with another Colorado true crime story. I have mentioned in the last couple episodes that there is a new website for Altitude Crime at altitudecrime.com. And if you visit the website, there is a shop tab that will take you on over to the Etsy store for Altitude Crime. I mentioned in the last episode that there's a 20% off running and somebody brought it to my attention that that was not applying to all of the merchandise. That has been fixed. So if you do visit the store, you get 20% off of anything that you order. So make sure to check that out, get a little something for you and get a little something for the true crime lover in your life. Now the case I'm covering today is actually a little similar to a couple that we've covered in the last little bit here. I actually attempted to do this case a few months back and was just having a hard time researching and writing it just emotionally and so now I'm coming back around to it. So this case has some similar dynamics to the Kelsey Barrett case that we covered two weeks ago. So if you're getting sick of episodes like this or things are seeming redundant, you can also visit altitudecrime.com and click suggest a case. I want to be covering what you guys want to hear, so please don't hesitate to suggest a case either on the website or on the Altitude Crime social media sites. So let's get into today's episode. Now, Anyone can think about the excitement that you might have when your boyfriend or girlfriend says they have a surprise gift for you, especially when you're a woman and you maybe just told your boyfriend that you were eight weeks pregnant. This is what happened to 21-year-old Kelsey Schelling, and it's what she expected when she made the drive from Denver to Pueblo, Colorado to see her boyfriend, Dante Lucas. But the surprise that she received was the stuff of nightmares. Kelsey, who was often described as bubbly by her friends and family, had met Dante Lucas in college in 2010. Lucas was a wonderful basketball player at Pueblo Central High and had played at Northeastern Junior College in Sterling, Colorado, where the two met. Kelsey and Lucas were on and off again, and both left the school after two years. At the time of her disappearance, Kelsey would have been turning 22 within a couple of weeks. Her birthday was on February 18th. On February 4th, 2013, Kelsey had had a doctor's appointment and sonogram scheduled. Once she had an ultrasound of her eight-week-old child, who was also Dante Lucas's child, she texted a picture of the ultrasound to him. The investigation would later find that Lucas's replies were short and did not seem excited or happy about the pregnancy. Kelsey also sent the pictures to her family and to Sarah, who was Lucas's mother. Dante Lucas told Laura Saxton, who was Kelsey Schelling's mom, that he wanted to support the baby. At the time, Kelsey lived in Denver, and Dante Lucas was living in Pueblo, Colorado, about two hours from each other. Lucas had asked Kelsey to come down on February 3rd, but she declined as she had this doctor's appointment the next day. She instead agreed to come visit him after work on February 4th. Prosecutors would later propose that getting Kelsey to go to Pueblo was part of Lucas's plan to get her alone and commit her murder. After getting off her shift, Kelsey drove her 2011 Chevy Cruze the two-hour drive south to Pueblo in order to visit her boyfriend. She would end up disappearing the following day on February 5th. 
Kelsey didn't end up getting to Pueblo until around midnight on February 4th, and she and Lucas were supposed to meet at Walmart, but Kelsey got there first. The two texted back and forth, with one of the last texts being at 12.30 in the morning. This text was from Kelsey asking why Dante Lucas was not there like he was supposed to be. Lucas had a reputation for being lazy and chronically late, so this wasn't out of character for her to have to wait for him. Cell phone tower records would show that Kelsey ended up leaving the Walmart and went elsewhere in Pueblo. The text between the two would pick up again around 4 a.m., where it could be proved that the phones got closer and closer to each other, like the two were getting ready to meet up. One of Kelsey's co-workers in Denver would sound the alarm when she didn't show up for work the next day. Checking Kelsey's apartment in Denver, everything looked normal. Nothing was missing or out of the norm or like Kelsey wasn't expecting to come back for a while. When her mom, Laura Saxton, called Dante Lucas to see if he had seen Kelsey, he said he had not seen her but failed to mention all the things of Kelsey's that were in his possession, like her car and keys. Lucas then told Kelsey's mom shortly after that Kelsey had called from a private number and said she would be calling her mom soon. Some texts that were sent to Kelsey's phone from other people were returned, but the messages were short, curt, and really not like Kelsey's writing at all. At about the eight-hour mark from Kelsey's arrival in Pueblo, at about 11.39 a.m. on February 5th, Lucas visited the bank with Kelsey's debit card and took out $400. Kelsey was eventually reported missing about five days after she arrived in Pueblo. During this time, Lucas was seen moving her car to different locations within Pueblo on different surveillance cameras. On February 6th, a different man would pick up Kelsey's car from Walmart. And on February 7th, the car would be found at its final location, which was the St. Mary Corwin Hospital parking lot. In all of these movements, Kelsey was not seen in any of the videos. Kelsey's family initially suspected Dante Lucas and put up a $50,000 reward for information leading to Kelsey's whereabouts. In the weeks and months after Kelsey's disappearance, her case would stay a missing persons case since her body had not been located. Laura Saxton, Kelsey's mom, was very open about being unhappy with the Pueblo Police Department. They did not coordinate with the family on searches for Kelsey, and at one point, Laura hired a private investigator who would also get no help from the Pueblo Police Department. Over the course of the early investigation, Lucas would tell some people that Kelsey had had a miscarriage and went to the Parkview Medical Center, but there was no record of a visit from her to the center. This miscarriage story was also not plausible, as she had just been to the doctor that morning and was told that her baby was very healthy. Lucas would become a person of interest and was arrested for the use of Kelsey's debit card. This resulted in two theft charges, one as a felony and one as a misdemeanor. This arrest took place on February 15, 2013, but the charges were dropped. Once the charges were dropped, really no one else was on the radar for Kelsey's disappearance. In October 2015, Kelsey's family would get a bogus lead saying that Lucas had sold her into sex trafficking. The person had reached out via Facebook Messenger and said that money should be brought to Washington in order to get Kelsey back. But Laura Saxton was not the only one getting these messages. The family of 25-year-old Megan Lancaster also received them. Megan went missing about a month after Kelsey and lived in Portsmouth, Ohio. The message to Megan's family indicated the same exact location for the money to be taken to. Laura, Kelsey's mom, had backed out thinking that this was a scam, but Megan's sister-in-law, Katie, did go to see the lead. 
The man that she had met was actually caught in a jewelry scam and he just knew he was supposed to pick up money. This is really typical of scams of this nature, according to the FBI, that basically the person creating the scam pieces people together with different motivations so that they don't really know they're connected at all. And once police looked into it, the messages had come from an IP address in Russia. In 2015, Laura Saxton and Kelsey's father, Doug Schelling, filed a wrongful death suit. The suit was against Dante Lucas, some of the members of his family, and the Pueblo Police Department. It detailed Lucas's activity on February 5th, 2013, the day after Kelsey arrived in Pueblo. This was the note that he had been using her card without her permission to draw $400 at a Pueblo bank. The main point of the lawsuit was criticism over how Kelsey's investigation was handled by Pueblo PD. The lawsuit indicated that Kelsey's car was not processed properly and that the family was given incorrect information about any evidence found in the car. Another point in the lawsuit was that a lead was not followed up on properly when a fisherman found a woman's body in Lake Minnequa. Minnequa is in a key location between the Walmart and where Kelsey's car was eventually found. This lawsuit did end up getting dismissed in court, but the suit propelled Pueblo police to look into Kelsey's investigation a bit deeper. In May 2016, 2020 covered the case, and at this point, the CBI got involved. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation prompted a total overhaul of the Pueblo Police Department Crimes Against Persons Unit. This commitment to the case changed the relationship with Laura Saxton and the police in investigating Kelsey's disappearance. Dante Lucas was never not a person of interest. He was the last one to see Kelsey alive, and that made him valuable no matter what his involvement was. On April 12, 2017, there was a dig in the backyard of a home at 5113 Manor Ridge Drive. Now, this was a home that Dante Lucas had lived in previously, and a cadaver dog had hit in the backyard. So police decided to excavate that backyard, but no evidence was found there. About a month later, they also excavated a field near the home, also finding no evidence. But later in 2017, Lucas, along with some of his family members, attacked a man and stole $1,000 from him when he was in front of their family home. Police moved on the robbery charge as they had heard rumors that Lucas and some of his family had planned to fly to Arizona from Denver International Airport and getting into Arizona would make it easy for them to flee to Mexico once they were there. On November 15, 2017, Dante Lucas was arrested just 20 minutes prior to his flight leaving DIA to go to Tucson. This charge was for the robbery, but he would be charged with the murder of Kelsey on December 1, 2017, while he was already in jail for said robbery. Despite the lack of a body, crime scene, or murder weapon, in May 2018, a judge ruled that the prosecutors had a case and that it could go to court. Dante Lucas ended up pleading not guilty in August of 2018. Now, this case has a dynamic that we're very familiar with at this point, and that is trial delays. Lucas's original trial date was set for April 2019, but lawyers decided they wouldn't be ready for that date because there was 125 new potential witnesses that could take the stand. So it was pushed to July 2019, but then lawyers weren't ready again because of possible new scientific evidence. The trial was moved again to May 2020 and was pushed because a new lawyer had joined the team for the defense. What ended up being the final trial date was set for January 25th, 2021. 
There was a two-week delay right in the middle of the trial because someone in the courtroom had tested positive for COVID-19. But the court ended up following the health department recommendations and did a 14-day quarantine. And the judge told jurors to decide whether taking a break for the trial would change their ability to participate. Basically, they might have access to news or other information outlets during the break, and it could potentially make them unbiased. So it did create the risk of a mistrial. But once the two-week quarantine was over, they were able to resume the proceedings as planned. There was no media in the courthouse for this case due to COVID-19 restrictions at the time. And some pieces of the trial we really don't know about because the audio in the broadcast that was given to media was kind of bad in the beginning of the proceedings. So some of those pieces we still don't know exactly what was said, like, for example, the prosecution's opening statements. This was not going to be an easy case to prove for the prosecution. They had no body, no murder weapon, and no location as to where the murder occurred. Versus think about a couple weeks ago when we covered Kelsey Barris' case. While there was no body and no murder weapon in that case, it was very obvious that she was most likely killed in her condo due to blood evidence. In Kelsey Schelling's case, we didn't have any place that we would know that she had been or exactly how she was murdered to know what evidence to look for and where to look for it. But Kelsey's lack of digital communication pointed to her most likely being deceased at that point. So let's talk about some of the basic evidence. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation said there were no fingerprints in the car, just one unidentifiable palm print. An FBI forensic team looked at a stain in Kelsey's car that was white and they weren't able to identify it. An FBI technician who specialized in phones could not unlock an iPhone that was involved in the case. I haven't been able to clarify whose phone that was, but that did happen. But on the flip side, phones did ping in the same places. So Kelsey Schelling and Dante Lucas's phones pinged in the same place very often, which meant that Lucas was carrying the phone around with him and most likely sending those texts that people thought were kind of off from Kelsey. Lucas had admitted to the police in 2017 that it was him who had moved the car. In an interview with police, he right out had said he had nothing to do with Kelsey's appearance, but did admit to taking his car to the hospital where it was eventually found. Prosecutors put forward the theory that Kelsey had been strangled, and that would explain why there was not a murder weapon that was ever found. Additionally, an FBI agent had looked at the soil that was on Kelsey's car and found that it was indicative of an area to the southwest and west of Pueblo about an hour and a half away and that the soil and material of the soil was not items that would have been found in the Denver area. This basically raised the question of if Kelsey wasn't driving to and from Pueblo to Denver, why would that material be on her car, then pointing to a possible location that her body could have been taken. So this sounds like not super credible evidence to start with, but that didn't mean that the prosecution didn't have evidence. They just had a different type of evidence. They focused on the level of domestic violence in the relationship between Dante Lucas and Kelsey Schelling. They used texts between the two to paint the picture of this very tumultuous relationship in which the couple fought often. They even had one friend of Kelsey's testify that she had told them that Lucas was physically abusive towards her. There were some pretty riveting witnesses for the prosecution. The first was a girl named Mercedes Woods. Now, she was an old neighbor of Dante Lucas's, and she was really young when Kelsey went missing. She was about in middle school age. She ended up helping with searches for Kelsey and helped passing out flyers. 
Well, one day, Dante Lucas showed up at the house and yelled at her. And then later, his mother, Sarah Lucas, would come to the house and say that the Woods family was harassing hers and they needed to stop putting these flyers out and yada, yada, yada. But the interesting thing was these posters, these flyers, missing flyers they were handing out about Kelsey said nothing about Dante Lucas. Another interesting witness was Ryan Rivera. So he had served nine months with Lucas in the Pueblo County Detention Center. And Lucas had actually told him at one point that he had killed Kelsey. He said his mom had helped him hide her body and that he'd never be convicted of the murder because they would never find where Kelsey was. Now, there is a lot of suspicion with these jailhouse informants, mainly because a lot of times they get a perk for testifying. They get a shorter sentence. They get some kind of perk within jail. But the thing with Rivera was he had no perk for testifying outside of just telling the truth and getting it off his chest. So that did make him a little bit more reliable. Okay, and I'm kind of leading up here because these last two witnesses are kind of insane. So one was a woman named Lauren Sur. So she had met Dante Lucas on Facebook. She did not know Kelsey personally, but got really wrapped up into the coverage on her case and got really passionate about it. So re she reached out to Dante Lucas specifically to try to get some information in regards to Kelsey's disappearance. In 2016, she met Lucas in person and... Over their time together, Lucas had explained to her that the relationship he had with Kelsey was great because basically they hung out, partied, did drugs together, and she paid for anything that he wanted. He also made the same admittance that he had made to police that he had mentioned an unknown man picking up Kelsey the last time he saw her, but he did say that the person on the Walmart camera footage moving Kelsey's car was him, which he did later tell police as well that it was him that moved her car to the hospital. Lauren said that Lucas would get very emotional when he talked about Kelsey's disappearance. Well, after about a year of quote unquote dating, Lucas ended up proposing to Lauren. She moved away from Colorado into Washington shortly after in the spring of 2017 and communication between the two stopped, except for her reaching out to say that like the, the relationship was over. So he really fell in love with her and she says that she was really just leading him on to try to get as much information as she could. There is one article that mentions that Lauren's friend who really helped concoct this plan was also in communication with Laura Sexton, who was Kelsey's mom. But I only see that in one place, so I'm not really sure how legitimate that is. But needless to say, Lauren did not say yes to the engagement and moved on. It was not a romantic relationship in her eyes. It was just a way for her to try to get into the inner workings of Dante Lucas's brain. Doesn't make the situation any less kind of weird. And I will talk about this a little bit more in my musings a little later on. So the last and most interesting witness in this case for the prosecution actually didn't take the stand. This was Roxanne Martinez. In a March 3rd, testimony during the court case revealed shocking information regarding this upcoming witness. 31-year-old Roxanne was slated to be in the courtroom and be a witness for the prosecution, but she was killed on February 25th, 2021 at 11 p.m. in Denver. She was gunned down at the intersection of East Kenyon Drive and South Wabash, and when authorities arrived, she was dead upon arrival, and the shooting was declared a homicide. Now, when this first came out, there was a lot of shock and thinking like, was it related to the case and was she gunned down because she had such great information against Dante Lucas? It's not as dramatic as that. Uh, the reason actually came to be that 
there was some domestic violence in her relationship with her boyfriend, Emmanuel Chandler, and he ended up being arrested for her murder. Chandler was 29 and actually turned himself in for the killing, and he was held for first-degree murder. I did try to follow up on what his conviction ended up being, and I wasn't able to find anything, but if I do find that, I will let you know. So had Roxanne been alive to testify, she was going to tell the jury how Lucas had told her that he had killed Kelsey. So this was another person who had heard him say this outright. On an odd side note, it's also assumed that Roxanne Martinez was also a woman called Roxanne Wilkins that had contacted Kelsey's mom, Laura Saxton, via Facebook. In this Facebook interaction... Roxanne Wilkins had said that Lucas had confessed to her that he'd killed Kelsey and she knew where the body was. And just before they were supposed to meet, Roxanne Wilkins had said she was in the hospital and canceled the meeting. This isn't 100% confirmed, but it is thought that this Roxanne Wilkins from Facebook was also Roxanne Martinez, that it was the same person. The prosecution had plenty to go off of from these witnesses, and they also put forward how much Dante Lucas tried to convince Kelsey to come down to Pueblo via text the day before she arrived and the day that she did arrive. So he originally wanted her to come February 3rd. She did not because she had this ultrasound appointment. She came February 4th. But his his reasoning for her coming was he had a surprise for her. He had a surprise gift for her. She had to come. Really kind of uh, played at that. And as I said before, the prosecution really painted that as getting her kind of on his home turf, where he would be familiar with the area and be able to commit her murder and get rid of her body. In a sad twist, it was also found that Kelsey's phone was used at 2.40 a.m. that morning that she went missing to call another woman who was a romantic interest of Dante Lucas. And if that already doesn't say how little he cared about Kelsey, he also never asked about the case or offered any help when people were searching for Kelsey. The defense, on the other hand, said this case was basically bogus. There was no murder, let alone any evidence that Lucas had committed a murder that didn't happen. And as we saw, there is very little DNA evidence in this case. So had the prosecution not had the witnesses that they did, this might have been very hard to convict. The only DNA that was really found was that Dante Lucas and his mother, Sarah Lucas's DNA had been in the car, but they were able to kind of wave this off because supposedly they were both allowed to use Kelsey's car, whether she was with them or not. And while the defense did not deny that Lucas definitely used Kelsey for money and use of her car, they painted that Kelsey was addicted to drugs and that her disappearance was related to her meeting up with a random drug dealer that night when she went missing. That ties in with Dante Lucas's story of her getting in the car with the unknown man, that this is supposedly the drug dealer that then, you know, causes her disappearance. They pointed to an incident that while in college, Kelsey had taken some pills to purposely become ill. And they tried to use this as a reason to say that She was gone possibly because there's some self-harm involved. But looking into it, Kelsey was taking anti-anxiety medication and nothing more. So this seemed not very plausible. The defense ended up not calling any witnesses. And this surprised Deputy DA Michelle Chosner. And she really had no reasoning for why that happened. Even with the two-week COVID delay, this trial took about three weeks, and the jury took less than three hours to come back with a verdict in this case. The jury's first vote was unanimous, and it was a decision for Lucas being guilty. The verdict was brought down on March 8, 2021, and Dante Lucas was found guilty of first-degree murder and received a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Lucas was 28 years old when the verdict was decided. 
The verdict also came eight years after Kelsey initially disappeared. Laura Saxton, Kelsey's mom, has asked the police to keep investigating so that she can properly put Kelsey to rest. In Laura's reaction to the verdict, which was recorded by Denver 7, she said, quote, In the end, I didn't get Kelsey back, unquote. Kelsey would have turned 30 this year. And according to ABC 7's reporting, Laura says, quote, I miss being silly with her. I miss all the things we didn't get to do together, unquote. What Laura is happy for, according to the Denver Channel's reporting, is that while her daughter is gone, she does understand how important the verdict is for, quote, all the other girls out there who may have come in contact with him in the future if he had been acquitted, unquote. Laura Saxton has since organized the Colorado Missing Persons Day event, and that brings together all kinds of different people that have missing family members, different organizations that help with that, law enforcement, etc. It has been put out there that there's a possibility that Kelsey's body had been dumped at the Pueblo landfill. Lucas's phone pinged in that area, and a lock at the landfill had been tampered with after Kelsey went missing. But if you listen to much true crime, you may have heard this come up before, and it's virtually impossible to strategically search a landfill. Things are coming in every day, and while there is kind of sections that stuff is placed, you're talking about just feet and feet and feet of stuff. It's not just a ground search. You're going across and down into these things. And I have seen other cases. I can't think of one specifically off the top of my head, but that landfills have come up and it's just not even plausible to be able to go in and really search for that, which is terrible because it's such an easy access point, but it really is a lot of logistical problems and being able to find maybe such a small piece of someone is maybe not really realistic. It is the literal needle in a haystack. To this date, Kelsey Schelling's body has never been found, and there is still a reward being offered for any information leading to finding her body and allowing her family to lay her to rest. If you have any information about the location of Kelsey Schelling's body, please call the Pueblo Police Department at 719-553-2538 or call the Colorado Bureau of Investigation at 303-239-4300. Okay, guys, thanks for hanging in there with me. I know, again, this case is very reminiscent of Kelsey Barris' case that we covered a couple weeks ago, but there are some different dynamics here, and I'd like to talk about those a little bit. Musing number one. Let's be honest, I don't know Dante Lucas, but we know where this murder came from. He was known as being lazy. He was known for taking advantage of Kelsey for her money. With her pregnant, he would have to take care of her, and that's not at all what he wanted. And again, I've talked about this before. I don't get people that do this. Just break up. Just get divorced. Just like you don't have to kill somebody to get out of a situation that makes you uncomfortable. The fact that people immediately go to like, ah, this sucks. I better kill her just absolutely blows my mind. Using number two. So I do have to say I went a little conspiracy theory when it was mentioned about the sex trafficking messages that were going to both families of these missing women. Sex trafficking is something that I am starting to get a little bit more knowledgeable on. It is so rampant in our society, and it's just something that people don't talk about a lot. And I just wanted to bring this up because while it was not applicable in this case, while that was not an actual lead, that does not mean that this doesn't happen to families all of the time. 
women just get snatched up and they get put in the sex trade. Like it happens all the time. It happens to children. And I really encourage you to get more education on this specific problem in our society because once you do it is a can of worms and it's definitely something that needs to be dealt with and I think until the public is more knowledgeable on both sex trafficking, how sex traffickers work, and the signs of someone who is being sex trafficked, it's really we're not going to make a dent in that problem until those things happen. Musing number three. So I find it interesting Sarah Lucas's name comes up in this case a bit. That's Dante Lucas's mom. So her DNA was in Kelsey's car, supposedly because she had driven it before. And in Ryan Rivera's testimony for the court, he mentioned that Sarah Lucas had helped Dante Lucas hide Kelsey's body. And that's why it would never be found. And there's a wild dynamic here that it I just can't imagine as a family, like, if your son came to you and was like, I did this, like, that pull between protecting your son and doing, like, what is actually right, and I obviously have never been put in that situation, so I can't judge somebody for the decision that they make there, but it it just is something that kind of, like, sticks in my brain with a case like this. Musing number four. So I said earlier I'd come back to this, so I want to talk about our amateur sleuth, Lauren Sewer. So... I don't know how I feel about this because there is such a huge community now of us true crime lovers and web sleuths and you do hear of people that, you know, identify this missing person looks like this homicide case and, you know, there are things that happen from our true crime community that make big breaks in cases that support families. It's a very valuable community. But this whole, like, kind of going undercover into this, like, love affair Maybe it's just because, like, I think of being in her shoes and it just makes me, like, cringe. But the whole thing just, like, seems real weird to me. And it doesn't seem like she really got much more information than, like, what the police already had or what other witnesses already had. So I think regardless of anything else, she definitely kind of lost a year of her life in dealing with that. Um, Yeah, I just, uh, I don't really know how I feel about that. But it doesn't make me feel, like, warm and fuzzy on the inside by any means. Musing number five. So for my friends that are in the area down in Pueblo, keep your eyes open. This is something I think about a lot when we have cases like a Crystal Reisinger, Kelsey's case where people are just dumped in the middle of nowhere. Like if you're all hiking as much as your Tinder profile says you are, you might come across one of these bodies. So it's one of those things, keep your eyes out, be aware There's a chance that Kelsey could never be found. There is a large expanse of prairie in the area around Pueblo and a lot of undeveloped land, and it may never happen. But how things like this get found, like Dylan Redwine's skeletal remains being found, it's because somebody had their eyes open. When you are out enjoying the Colorado wilderness, please keep your eyes open. Please report things that you see. That's the only way that things like this get found and it's really important to be aware of your surroundings. Anyway, I could go on a whole spiel about hiking in Colorado, but keep your eyes open and be aware. Okay, everybody, that's it for today. I know this episode came out a smidge late today, but I am still coming in weekly for you, I promise. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to Altitude Crime on your favorite podcast platform. This will help you get updates as I do some midweek content, and I'll let you know when episodes come out a smidge late like this one did. Although I promise I'm not going to make that a constant. 
Like I said earlier, there is a suggest a case link at altitudecrime.com, but you are also always welcome to contact me on social media. You can find me at Altitude Crime Podcast on Instagram and at Altitude Crime on Facebook and Twitter. Source materials, as always, can be found on altitudecrime.com. And on altitudecrime.com, hit that sale button. Go to the Etsy store. There is 20% off all merchandise. And I actually mean all merchandise because remember, I fixed it. You'll be able to get that 20% off off of everything. There is new merchandise out there. So please, please check that out. And if there's something you guys would be interested in seeing branded with Altitude Crime, let me know. I'm happy to add new stuff to the store if it's something you guys are interested in. Well, thanks so much for spending part of your week with me. You are great. I love my listeners. You keep me coming back every week. Have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next Sunday on Altitude Crime. Episode 36, The Murder of Kelsey Schelling, was written, recorded, and edited by Amelia Allen. Music provided by Podbean.com.